0: Well, were Luke and John liars or deluded? Did they write accurately? Are the records of Jesus' life like gospel fishing stories? So Jesus begins as a very ordinary bloke and because of the desperate need of the disciples or the early church, over time he's distorted and turned into uh, some sort of miracle-working, death-defeating God. That's what people believe. They believe the distortion is actually deliberate or accidental. The Gospels are just mythological accounts written down well after the actual events, well after all the eyewitnesses are dead so no one can dispute what was written. How do you know that the Gospels are true? How would you answer the critique that people put before us? Do the Gospels have any truth in them or do we just need to believe it? Is there any evidence to say that our belief is plausible? Is there any evidence to show that our belief is ac- in the Gospels that they're accurately recording without embellishment who Jesus is and what he did? Now, many Christians, myself included... Never really think about this. I was quite happy to follow Jesus or logically read. I was quite impressed when I read the stories. They didn't read like fictional stories. But I'm a Christian. I'm biased, of course. I'm someone who follows Jesus. More theologically, I'm actually indwelt with his spirit. I love his word. And so I don't sit there thinking, oh, that's a pile of hogwash. But is it possible for me to present any evidence to a person who's not yet a follower of Jesus that my belief that they've accurately recorded Jesus, who he is, and what he said, that is the gospel writers accurately recorded, is there any evidence to back that up? So, Is there any evidence that we can use to answer the claim that the writers of the gospel were deceived or deluded or deceptive? And the works of the gospel are simply mythological works that developed it over time, might have been based on a real person of Jesus, but the real person of Jesus bore nothing in resemblance to the person that he wrote about. Well, this morning I hope to be able to give you some good answers into those, that, that sort of critique. And I do want to ask four questions. I'm not going to give you every answer there is because this morning would turn into this afternoon very quickly. I want to ask four questions. Were the gospel writings written close after the events? What evidence is there that they were? Is there anything to corroborate their story? In other words, does anyone else back them up or does anything they say get backed up from any other sources? I want to go on to ask is um, what evidence that they recorded things accurately rather than got together and wrote down something that was impressive but but untrue. And were they biased? Why don't I pray... Then we'll jump into those questions. Lord, as we look at this, these questions, uh, in a way we're not unpacking scripture. But in a way we're, le- we're looking and seeing this morning that the claims of, Matthew, of John and Luke, the, the claim of Peter, is actually that they did present what happened. That the Jesus of the Gospels is Jesus as he really is and really was that we can follow you not just with burying our brains, but we have overwhelming evidence to show that what you did in this world roughly 2,000 years ago did happen. Lord, I pray that that will give us confidence in our own faith. But Lord, I also pray that it will give us confidence in speaking about our faith to those around us, our family and our friends, people who are exposed to the accusation that Christianity is a made-up story and the Jesus of the Bible is a mythological figure. We ask these things, Lord, in your precious name. Amen. Well, were the Gospels written down close after the event? What sort of evidence is there? Uh, Some people claim that the Gospels were written really late in the second century, made up by people uh, who weren't there, made up by people who wrote them down after all the eyewitnesses were dead, it's a very convenient time to start putting out a lie. But what evidence is there for us or for anyone who wants to look at evidence that the Bible was actually written down really close to the actual events they describe? I'm going to give you some, some ideas, some five reasons why I think that they were written down fairly close. The Bible doesn't mention, the first one is the Bible doesn't mention that the temple gets destroyed. Now, the temple is destroyed under the reign of Emperor Tiberius about 70 AD. Some people put right down to the very date. The temple destruction is predicted. We saw that in Matthew 24. And if the temple destruction is predicted and yet the Gospels are written late, we have no record of the fact that in, the, in any of the Gospels or any of the New Testament writings that the temple's actually been destroyed. You would think it makes sense that if you predicted it, you'd say, "And this happened a couple of years ago," or this. And, and as you, as as writers, as readers of this, you know this happened whenever. Uh, but it does not even mention that it happened. So that's that's a a small step, but a first step that we can reasonably conclude that the gospels were written down before the temple was destroyed in seventy A.D and just sort of building on the same sort of step, um, they just didn't walk in and destroy. They, They laid siege to Jerusalem, the Romans that is, laid siege to Jerusalem for three years beforehand. Now you think about a siege on Jerusalem. A siege was a real siege. You didn't go in and you didn't go out. And if you got caught coming out, you were on the hill the next day, crucified. You would think that the early church might have recorded that because that would have affected them even if they weren't on side of the Jewish thinking people. But there's nothing recorded. We, we do get records records that the early church cared for the Christians in Jerusalem during a, a period of drought and that's it. But no record of not being able to even get in or out. You might that think that would have been mentioned, certainly in the book of Acts, if those events had taken place... Um, in the lifetime of the uh, the period it was written about. So none of it's mentioned. So in other words, I think you can assume that the Gospel writings and and Acts in particular is written. In fact, all of the Gospel writings are written before 70 AD. Third reason I think uh, you can say that the Gospels are written down early is the Book of Acts doesn't record some of the key points in the life of the church, but it does, does record other ones. A uh, key point in the life of the church would have been the death of Peter. Uh, he was a pretty key disciple. He was the leader of a church, sort of, um, and he died about 65 AD, and that's not recorded. It's not recorded in the book of Acts, which records a bit of history of the early church. Uh, it's, uh, the death of Paul's not recorded, so Paul's dead about 63 AD, a couple of years beforehand, Uh, The death of the brother of the brother of Jesus James, sorry, um, is the the death of brother of James is also recorded, but a lot earlier. Um, The death of the uh, Jesus brother James is a sixty two A. D. Not recorded. Now, why is that unusual? Because Acts actually records for us some of the deaths of prominent early Christians, doesn't it? So it records the death of Stephen, and records the death of James, the brother of John, not the brother of Jesus. So Acts chapter seven, Stephen. Acts chapter twelve. Um, James the brother of John Uh, you see these New Testament books Acts is written after the events took place sorry before the events took place rather than after which leads us into the next way of thinking is that um, the book of Acts was written after the book of Luke because the book of Acts chapter 1 verse 1 says in my former book in the book I've written to you already this is what happened and now I'm writing you another book, so you know this is what's happening. So so you know from Acts that Luke was written before Acts. It's written, both books are written to Theophilus. Both books are written by Luke. If Acts doesn't record these key events, and Acts was written before the Gospel of Luke, there you go, Luke was written early. Last one, just really, really small points to start with. Uh, lots and lots to say on the subject. I just want to add a final point uh, without much detail. Is that, but Paul actually quotes what Luke says. So Paul is writing, and in his writings, there's a number of times he quotes stuff that's only in Luke's gospel. So you get into dating, in, Paul's writing this day, he's dead by 63, he's writing this stuff, and he's quoting what's in Luke. So when you look at the evidence, this is not just taking this as... The church wrote it, therefore we must believe it. This is just analysing historical documents that are written before in a sequence, so we can get an idea of which one was written first, and we can get a rough dating. So, if you're going to ask the gospels, uh, ask if the gospels are written uh, in early to the events that they're writing about—the death and resurrection of Jesus, the life, death and resurrection of Jesus—you could say quite easily. They were written before 70 AD. You could say quite easily they were written before 67 AD when the siege begun, before 65 AD, before 63 AD, before 62 AD when those prominent leaders were killed. Now that doesn't prove everything. That's just a first step, a nice easy first step. Is there anything to corroborate what the Gospel writers say? It's sometimes argued that the Gospel writers... Um, wrote these words well after the event, but they wrote legends and childish stories. Albert Einstein believed that. Whether he believed it just before he died, I don't know, but he certainly wrote down that he believed it. They said the Bible was primitive legends that are pretty childish and there are plenty of other people who want to echo those thoughts. So is there evidence to support what Albert Einstein says or is there evidence to support what the Gospel writers might say? Can what they've written be checked against other things to work out whether or not they've been written accurately? There are a number of things you can say here. Uh, When the Gospel writers wrote down what they did, they accidentally supported each other in the stories. Let me give you an example of what I mean. There's tons of these examples. I'm just going to give you two. Uh, Jesus is before Caiaphas, and Matthew records to us uh, for us that they spat on him and they beat him with their fists. I think we already know that. Matthew also records that they asked Jesus a very strange question. Who hit you? Now, if I was to get Dave out here and job him one, and I'd ask who, who hit you, you'd think that's a stupid question. I'm not, not planning to do that right now. so you'll be, uh, um, But Matthew doesn't tell us why. That's a, an answer to why that's a silly question. Uh, but if you go to uh, Luke's Gospel... Luke tells us a really important detail that helps us understand that that's a sensible question to have asked. Luke tells us that they blindfolded him. Okay, so Matthew doesn't tell us that fact, he just says the question that they asked. The gospel writers unintentionally support each other's story. Let me give you a more complicated and a better inside example of the many I could give you. The feeding of the 5,000, recorded in all the Gospels. Mark records it for us in Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 44. I do encourage you to go and read this so you know the detail. And it says in there that there were many people there. There was a large crowd that gathered around as Jesus... Well, it says there's 5,000, doesn't it? Why is there 5,000 plus? Why is this large crowd there? Well, actually, we don't really know. They did come to listen to Jesus... But the Judean countryside is not a metropolis. John tells us why there was such a large crowd. John just happens to mention that it was Passover. And we know at Passover that Jerusalem just got packed. There's the reason why there was a large crowd. Let me keep unpacking this story more. As we read the feeding of the 5,000, we read that Andrew and Philip became really prominent in this story. Jesus um, involves them in the discussion about who to feed and when to feed and all that sort of stuff. Now, normally in the Gospel writings, the prominent people are the inner circle, Peter and James and John. But here it's Andrew and Philip. We're not told why. Uh, Luke chapter chapter 9 tells us, just in passing, that Jesus at the feeding of the 5,000 had withdrawn to the Bethsaida. That's a region just outside. So he's there. John tells us, John chapter 1 verse 44 tells us that Philip and Andrew came from Bethsaida. Local event, local knowledge. Accidentally, these guys back each other's story up as they just record what they record, what they experienced. What they gleaned from those that experienced it as eyewitnesses. Just keeping the same story, another point in the same story. Mark chapter 6 actually tells us that Jesus tells them to go and sit on green grass. Now all the pictures I've ever seen in the Middle East, there's either no grass but there's never green grass. And it would seem that this person maybe lived in Cairns or the tropics rather than, the, rather than actually had really ever experienced um, what it's like in the Middle East. Except, remember, John's Gospel told us it was a Passover. And at the Passover, that would have happened in April that year, or roughly around that time. That's at the end of five months of the five rainiest months of the region. So it makes sense that there was green grass. It's an incidental fact. It's uh, irrelevant facts. It's a fact that as the guys record what they record, one of them backs up what the other is saying as they record different amounts of information that we can put together and see that these guys are recording what they experienced, not a mythological legend and not a childish story. I remember writing a story in... Um, in it might have been high school. I won't tell you the story because you only laugh at me for the rest of my life. But the, writer, the, the English teacher wrote that none of it was, was realistic. Um, you know, you couldn't do what a person, I said, they could do in the story. You couldn't carry what they could carry. It was a mythological story. It was so evident from the childish way in which it was written. But this story you can pull apart. This story you can compare from one writer to another. And the story builds itself together. It doesn't tear itself apart. What about the language they've used? Now, they use names. Just let's just pick one part of the language they use. The gospel writers talk about people by name. Now, when you get all of the data, all of the literary data from Palestine around the first century and compare the names that Jewish people are used, you get the same names the guy Bible uses. But if at the same time of life or the same time of history you go to Egypt and compare all the Jewish names that are written for Jewish people in Egypt you get a completely different set of lists. Now all that does is tell us that these guys were there. They weren't in Egypt. They were there using the names that were popular at that time amongst Jewish Palestinian Jews. It gets even more compelling. These step-by-step incremental evidence gets even more compelling. They talk about places that you would only know about if you were there. Now, let's get rid of Google and let's get rid of your street directory. They didn't have them in those days. If you were going to invent a story that happened in Adelaide, let's say in the city of Tea Tree Gully, because you knew that existed, I think you just talk about generalities of the city of Tea Tree Gully you would not get the story talking about what happened in Frank Street in Vista. There is a Frank Street in Vista. I've never been there. I only know because I Googled it. It's an obscure place. It's an relatively... Does anyone know where Frank Street in Vista is? There you go. You guys would know whether or not I'm telling you, if I said there were 500 houses in Frank Street in Vista, you would know whether or not I'm joshing you. Okay. Well these guys write about obscure places, places that have taken us hundreds or thousands of years to discover archaeologically, which is evidence that they were there because this area not only is recorded for us in writings of the past, after those writings Roman armies came in and smashed the place. So you had to be there at that stage to have actually known these places existed. You couldn't have made it up 200 years later. Let's keep building the evidence. On top of uh, what we've presented so far, what do other people say about key gospel story evidence? Now, we touched on some of this last week, but there's a guy called Josephus. Josephus is a Jewish historian. He's not really a great fan of Christians, He lived from 37 to 100 AD, that's his time frame, but he wrote about key gospel related issues concerning the person of Jesus that show that the story was not a developing fish story but he wrote about it because it happened in his lifetime. Tacitus, who's a Roman historian, 56 AD to 117 AD, he includes key gospel, element, gospel story elements in what he writes. He's a hostile writer, but let me tell you, he's not writing about Jesus, the great bloke who did nothing, that later developed into a fishing story. He's writing about Jesus, who was a miracle worker, whose disciples claimed to have risen from the dead, that was put to death by, on under pilot, and things like that, key gospel elements. This is not a developing legend. And then when it comes to archaeological evidence, hundreds or thousands of years later, people have gone and dug up things. And the things that they've dug up are random and all over the place. When you dig up things, you don't normally go there with a map, knowing exactly what's there. And so you stumble across things. As you dig, they stumbled across the pool of Bethsaida, the pool of Siloam. I think one of them they were put in a sewage works in, in Jerusalem, and they discovered what the Bible talked about. The things that these people there on the day wrote about were discovered almost 1,900 years later. Archaeological evidence, which is really random, showed that the details that they wrote about are true. Corinius, a governor. Pontius the pilot was not in a plane. He was actually a Roman procreator, procre- oh, procre- probably was a procreator as well, a Roman governor. Uh, Erastus, he was one of the city treasurers. Paul writes about him in Romans chapter 16, verse 23. They uncover a plaque that talks about Erastus, the city treasurer. You can't make this stuff up unless you're there, because you don't know at the time you're making it up that people are actually going to dig up the evidence for it later. Or maybe they just made it all up and carefully buried the evidence to... No. Strong evidence that the Gospel writers were there when it happened, they knew the events they wrote about, they recorded them faithfully, and that is what we have today. You must remember when you're looking at corroborating evidence, particularly archaeological evidence, it is random Only a few of whatever, whatever gets made initially, only a very little bit of that survives. Only a very little bit of it is found. Only a very little bit of it has been researched. And out of everything they've found and researched, there's no evidence that opposes anything that the gospel writers initially wrote. That's worthwhile knowing. When it comes to asking if the gospel writers have distorted what was original over time... So did it start off with this story that really the Chinese whispers game went haywire? There are lots of accusations made against the Gospels based on that. Were the Gospels preserved? Were the Gospels corrupted? Did they get some of the detail right? And that's the stuff that happened to get uh, supported by archaeological evidence. But they then get most of the detail about Jesus wrong, which is what some people believe. Well, let me tell you, there's an overwhelming amount of evidence to show that the Gospels have been faithfully preserved, recorded and re-recorded. I could take you and look at all the manuscript evidence, but I won't do that. I want to throw out every manuscript we've ever found of the Bible. I want to throw out every copy of the Bible that you have and then ask the question, is there anything we've ever found that backs up the story that this wasn't some sort of developing legend? I want to take you to the disciples of the Apostle John. All of the disciples, all of the, all of the initial disciples, the 12, had other people they discipled. We read about that in the Bible. John had many people that he discipled and people he taught in the Christian faith. We know of two of them. And those two that we know of wrote down, A, that they were disciples of John, and B, what they were taught. And we have copies of it today. We have Ignatius and Polycarp. Ignatius lived between 35 AD and 117 AD. And Polycarp lived between 69 AD and 115 AD. We have these two guys. They wrote down what John discipled them in. You interested to know what they record about Jesus? Hold your breath. If we throw out all of the Bible, we throw out all of the manuscripts... What did these guys... And sorry, there's another guy, Clement. I think Clement was a disciple of Paul, but I could, didn't write that down. This is what we know about Jesus. He was a man in the line of David, conceived by the Holy Spirit, the only begotten Son of God, born from the Virgin Mary, announced with a star. He came forth from God and manifest God's will and knowledge. He was baptised by John the Baptist and lived a humble, unassuming, perfect, sinless life. He spoke the words of God and taught many people divine truth. Although Jesus was anointed with oil, he was unjustly treated, whipped, condemned and ultimately executed on the cross. This took place during the reign of Pontius Pilate and the reign of Herod the Tetrarch. Jesus' death was a personal sacrifice he offered to God on our behalf as payment of the debt of our sin. Jesus proved his divinity by physically rising from the dead appearing to Peter and to the other disciples, eating with them, encouraging them to touch him and see for themselves. The disciples were so emboldened by their observations of the risen Jesus that they became fearless, understanding that his resurrection ensured early, uh, eternal life, sorry, and uh, the resurrection of all who placed their faith in him. Jesus returned to his Father and now reigns in heaven. Did you get the gospel in that? Did you get what Jesus had done? Throw the Bible out. Just take what the first disciples of John and um, John and this guy Clement spoke about, and the reliable writings from those three guys only, there's t- plenty more, and that's what you have. Was it a developing story? No. Is there any evidence that it was a developing story? No. The Gospels tell us far more than these guys do, don't they? But these guys confirm... All the stuff that we need to know to put the gospel together. Were they biased? Well, I guess you could say they're biased. What well, would be a smart question to ask is what made them biased? Everyone's got biases. There are people who go for Port Adelaide. What made them biased? Beggar's belief, actually. There are people who go, to, who go for Crows. What made them biased? A whole pile of circumstances, none of which makes sense either. You get the idea, we all have our biases. The question that's far better to ask is, what makes us biased? What is it that turned Paul from a killer to a proclaimer? We touched on that last week. The risen Lord Jesus, he says it time and time again. What is it that turned James, the brother of Jesus, from the sceptic to the head of the church in Jerusalem? The risen Lord Jesus. What is it that made the disciples emboldened in their faith? The risen Lord Jesus. That's what made them biased. What was in it for them? Remember, Kurong didn't exist. No speaking exists, no No TV evangelist wasn't popular. No money. No power. They lost everything. The people who had power over them put them to death. That didn't take long sometimes. There was no increased status. It's not like the church when the church developed into my lord the bishop sort of rubbish. This is put your head up for Jesus. You might stay the leader of the church for a short time but it won't be for long. It wasn't good for picking up the girls. It didn't give you any relationships advantages at all. Every single one of them died for their belief that they saw the risen Jesus. Or John, he was imprisoned on the island of Patmos. Now, all I'm trying to show you is that the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John writers reliably recorded what evidence uh, the, the, the person who Jesus is and what he did. And the evidence for that is massive. I've only touched a small bit. You can know for certain that the gospel writers were reliable. Now, you might turn around and say, I don't really care, I I believe it anyhow. Well, think of your children and your grandchildren. Think of those that you know of that will have their faith constantly battered by people who say there is no evidence for Jesus. For people who mock the Christian faith and say that the Jesus of reality has nothing to do with the Jesus of the gospels, He is a fictional character in the Gospels. Know that you can put your faith in Jesus with plausible evidence. You can give a reason for the hope you have with plausible evidence. If you want to know more, I only touched a fraction of what you can know. Make sure you speak with me later. How about I pray? Lord God, thank you. Uh, We thank you that you didn't just give us the scriptures and nothing else. We thank you for the overwhelming evidence that the scriptures are faithful and reliable. And we can thank you that we have your spirit. Your spirit is working in us and shaping us and growing us as your people. But we thank you that this evidence gives us the opportunity and the confidence to proclaim the goodness of the gospel to a world that doesn't accept that the Bible is yours. Lord, we pray that you might use us and that your spirit might use this information, that we might use our boldness to draw people into, our king, into your kingdom. Lord, I pray for those that we know that stumble, that give up, that get distracted, that turn away because they've believed the lies of the society we live in. Lord, help us to contend for the faith well. Use us to make disciples, particularly disciples of those that we know and love. We ask this, Lord, in your precious name. Amen.